Hello again, everybody. This is uh, Jason Powers. Thought I would uh, do a broadcast tonight. So this is a uh, like a pre-packaged uh, uh, deal. So I'm doing it on Audacity. So without further ado, I'm going to be doing some clips. Uh, one's going to be a conspiracy theory uh, clip uh, from a well-known movie. The next clip will be from uh, Pelosi actually doing a taking a call twice from Mike Pence. One with uh, Chuck Grassley in the room, and another exact same uh, phone call without him in the room. Then we're going to dive into, uh, well, this is an old, uh, old theory I have that is tied to Biden uh, regarding uh, energy. So we're going to listen to a long clip from uh, Dr. Galbuth, and then we're going to listen to a clip from uh, former CIA director R. James Woolsey, who actually ties together a lot of different aspects of the energy uh, project that's tied to Joe Biden, and then we'll discuss it. came back. I asked myself, why was I, the chief of special ops, selected to travel to the South Pole at that time to do a job that any number of others could have done? And I wondered if it could have been because one of my routine duties, if I had been in Washington, would have been to arrange for additional security in Texas. So I decided to check it out. And sure enough, I found out that someone had told the 112th Military Intelligence Group at 4th Army Headquarters at Fort Sam Houston to stand down that day over the protests of the unit commander, Colonel Wright. I believe it's a mistake. This is significant because it is standard operating procedure, especially in a known hostile city like Dallas, to supplement the Secret Service. I mean, even if we had not allowed the bubble top to be removed from the limousine, we would have placed at least 100 to 200 agents on the sidewalk without question. I mean, only a month before Dallas. UN Ambassador Adlai Stevenson was spit on and hit. There had already been several attempts on de Gaulle's life in France. We would have arrived days ahead of time, studied the route, checked all the buildings, never would have allowed all those wide open empty windows overlooking Dealey, never. We'd have had our own snipers covering the area. The minute a window went up, they'd have been on the radio. We'd have been watching the crowd, packages, rolled up newspapers, coat over and up. Never would have let a man open an umbrella along the way. Never would have allowed that limousine to slow down to 10 miles an hour, much less take that unusual curve at Houston and Elm. You would have felt an army presence in the streets that day. None of this happened. It was a violation of the most basic protection codes we have, and it is the best indication of a massive plot in Dallas. Now, who could have best done this? 
Black Ops, Mr. Garrison. People in my business, people like my superior officer, could have called Colonel Reich and said, look, we have another unit coming from so-and-so providing security. You'll stand down. I mean, that day, in fact, there were some individual Army intelligence people in Dallas. I'm still trying to figure out who and why. But they weren't protecting client. And, of course, Oswald. Army intel had a Harvey Lee Oswald on file. All those files have been destroyed. Many strange things were happening, and your Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with them. We had the entire cabinet on a trip to the Far East. We had one-third of a combat division returning from Germany in the air above the United States at the time of the shooting. At 12.34 p.m., the entire telephone system went out in Washington for a solid hour. And on the plane back to Washington, word was radioed from the White House Situations Room to Lyndon Johnson that one individual performed the assassination. Does that sound like a bunch of coincidences to you, Mr. Garrison? No. Not for one moment. The cabinet was out of the country to get their perceptions out of the way. Troops were in the air for possible riot control. The telephones didn't work to get the wrong stories from spreading if anything went wrong with the plan. Nothing was left to chance. He could not be allowed to escape alive. Well, I never thought things were the same after that. Vietnam started for real. There was an air of, I don't know, make-believe in the Pentagon and CIA. Those of us who'd been in secret ops since the beginning knew the Warren Commission was fiction. But there was something, something deeper, uglier. I knew Alan Dulles very well. I'd briefed him many a time in his house. But for the life of me, I still can't figure out why he was appointed to investigate Kennedy's death, the man who had fired him. Dulles, by the way, was General Wyeth's benefactor. I get out in 64, resigned my commission. I never realized Kennedy was so dangerous to the establishment. Is that why? Well, that's a real question, isn't it? Why? The how and the who is just scenery for the public. Oswald, Ruby, Cuba, the Mafia. Keeps them guessing like some kind of parlor game prevents them from asking the most important question, why? Why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? I'm I think it's fair to say that uh, it's uh, quite telling that uh, that uh, was uh, done. And you'll be able to go look at the video where you can see Chuck Grassley in the room and then not being in the room. That uh, they would make that audio. And we know about the elbow bump after, the, after uh, they put Joe Biden in between Pelosi and then there was a coin exchange. Uh, 
Yes, lots of people were in on this uh, whole deal, how to stop any review, and so that everybody could go home and no one would have to actually uh, actually take up the cause of uh, investigation because these people didn't want to do any of that. They knew who they wanted in office, and they were willing. They're they're not doing anything to stop anything that Biden does. Uh, they actually they they don't care. So uh, we're going to move on to a, a, a audio that uh, needs to be analyzed once again uh, with Galuf. Good day. My name is Dr. Gal Luft. For the past 20 years, I have been the co-director of the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, a Washington-based think tank focused on energy security. For the past 15 years, I've been a resident of Israel, and for four years, I was senior advisor to the China energy company CFC, at the same time of its dealings with the Biden family. Under normal circumstances, I would be testifying before Congress about my experience with CFC. Sadly, due to circumstances I shall describe here in this video, uh, I am forced to tell you this story via video. My ordeal goes back to uh, a fatal decision I made in March of 2019 to share with the U.S. government my knowledge about the Biden family's relations with CFC. As I said, it was in March of 2019 in a two-day uh, session at the U.S. Embassy in Brussels. I insisted that the meeting take place in March because at the time there were rumors that Joe Biden was planning to run for president. I saw it as my civic duty to alert the government beforehand and give it enough time to probe the issue. I want to be clear. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I have no political motive or agenda. I did it out of deep concern that if the Bidens were to come to power, the country would be facing the same traumatic Russia collusion scandal, only this time with China. Sadly, because of the DOJ's uh, cover-up, this is exactly what happened. The DOJ sent to Brussels a delegation of six uh, people, two prosecutors from the Southern District of New York, by the names of Daniel Reichenthal and Catherine Ghosh, and four FBI agents. One of them was Special Agent Joshua Wilson from the Baltimore Field Office, which also happens to cover the state of Delaware. Now you want to ask yourself, why did the government dispatch to Europe so many people? Why six? Why not two? The answer is that they knew very well that I'm a credible uh, witness and that I have insider knowledge about the group and the individuals that enrich the Biden family. Over an intensive two-day two meeting, um, I shared my information about the Biden family's financial transactions with CFC, including specific dollar figures. I also provided the name of Rob Walker, who later became known as Hunter Biden's bagman, 
Uh, yet, as we now know today from the whistleblower testimony, uh, Gary Shapley, it took the DOJ a whole 21 months to probe the issue and to actually talk to Walker. But perhaps the most alarming information I revealed was of a mole within the DOJ who shared classified information with Hunter Biden and his Chinese partners. I told the DOJ that Hunter was closely associated with a very senior retire, retired FBI official who had distinct physical characteristic. He had one eye. One of the FBI agents at the time even told me you know, that would be very easy for us to find. There aren't that many one-eyed people in the Bureau. The information I provided the FBI in March of 2019 was fully corroborated nine months later when the famous laptop belonging to Hunter Biden, which contained all the emails and receipts, was handed to the FBI. And guess who seized the laptop from the computer repair shop. It was Special Agent Joshua Wilson, who was with me in Brussels earlier. In other words, the FBI knew about, uh, from me, about the Biden CFC deals before they got hold of the laptop, way before. They had enough time to investigate the issue, but they didn't. After Brussels, I never heard back from the DOJ, but instead of showing appreciation for my whistleblowing, I became public enemy number one. Over the past four years that followed, me, my family, my friends, my associates, we were all harassed, intimidated, and finally, I was prosecuted. Despite all that, on the eve of the 2020 elections, I sent my lawyer to Washington to meet with then-acting Deputy Attorney General, Mr. Richard Donahue, to ensure he was informed about the information I had given his department in Brussels 19 months earlier, and also to warn him that there may still be a mole within the DOJ. Mr. Donahue confirmed to my lawyer that he was aware of my claims, but now we learn from the IRS whistleblower that it was Rich Donahue himself who suspended the investigation a few weeks earlier on September 4th, 2020, on the ground that it was, quote, too close to the elections. Finally, in February this year, I was arrested in Cyprus on an extradition request from the Southern District of New York, the very same office that met with me uh, in Brussels. The seven-count indictment said I violated the export, uh, Arms Export Control Act, and if I convicted, I would face up to 100 years in prison. While I was detained in Cyprus, I was portrayed in the international media as an arms dealer, even though I never traded a bullet in my entire life. In fact, nowhere in my indictment the DOJ claimed or presented evidence that I bought, sold, shipped, or financed any weapons. I was also charged with acting as an unregistered agent of CFC, which is a FARA violation. The DOJ says that I caused the payment of $6,000 a month to former CIA Director James Woolsey, um, 
in order to put his name on an article I had ghostwritten for the China Daily newspaper. Nowhere in the indictment, the DOJ mentioned the well-known fact that Mr. Woolsey had been uh, an advisor to my think tank since 2002, and that there was nothing in the article that represented Chinese interest, to the contrary. The notion that I, Gal Luft, spoon-fed a CIA director with policy proposals on China, treating him like a useful idiot, is not only an insult to the intelligence community, it is an insult to the intelligence of every American. The US government claimed that I acted on behalf of CFC, and therefore I'm a foreign agent. But let me tell you a little secret. The same CFC that the US government claims was associated with the Chinese intelligence and, quote, an international criminal organization, was a 501c3 charitable organization registered in the state of Virginia and approved by the IRS. The same organization was also a major donor to the Clinton Foundation and Columbia University. Needless to say that none of their executives were charged for any wrongdoing. If CFC was indeed a foreign entity tied so closely to the PRC, why was it allowed to operate freely as a public charity? Why did the government expose taxpayers to the risk of funding an entity it knew at the time was so compromised? Why did they, did they not warn anybody? Isn't the role of government to protect its people? I'm also being charged for making a false statement in Brussels. But why was I in Brussels to begin with? Was I there to eat Belgian waffles? The DOJ charged me for making a statement in a voluntary meeting that would have never come to bear if not for my good citizenship. So let me propose an idea. Why won't the DOJ make my indictment public? Do it. Make my day. Put it on your website so that every American can see the nature of the allegations against me the quality of the evidence, and the length the government is willing to go to weaponize the justice system to punish whistleblowers like me. I have another idea. Why won't the FBI submit to Congress the minutes from the Brussels meeting? Let everybody see what happened in Brussels. Why not? Are you trying to protect anything? Are you trying to protect anybody? I also hope that the DOJ can explain why they targeted me in Cyprus and not in my home country of Israel, where I reside most of the time. After all, the U.S. shares a bilateral extradition treaty with Israel. So if any of my crimes are real and serious, and this is not just political prosecution, why did the U.S. need to sneak up on me during a short visit to Cyprus? Do they not trust the Israeli judicial system to judge this issue on its merits? What's going on here? Also, why did the DOJ wait six whole years, well beyond the statute of limitation, to indict me? And why did the DOJ choose to 
unsealed to the, the indictment on November 1st, 2022, the very same week of the midterm elections. Could this have anything to do with the fact or the fear that once Republicans gain control over Congress and begin to investigate, their cover-up would be in full display? And perhaps the biggest question of all, why am I being indicted for FARA for a ghostwriting an innocuous article for which I received no payment, let alone from a foreign government, when the mother of all FARA cases, the Biden's systemic influence peddling on behalf of foreign governments for which they raked millions, goes unpunished? This is, in a nutshell, why I decided to act the way I did because I do not have faith uh, that I would receive a fair trial in a New York court. Let me tell you why. CFC Secretary General Dr. Patrick Ho, who paid Hunter Biden a million dollars for God knows what, was not allowed to mention the word Biden before the jury when he was tried in New York in 2018. The very same prosecutor who is now after me, Daniel Reichenthal, told the judge at the time that mentioning the name Biden would, quote, add a political dimension to the case. And the judge agreed. Which means that if I'm ever brought before a U.S. court, I would not be allowed to utter the word Brussels or Biden. And the real context of my arrest me being patient zero of the Biden family investigation, would be hidden from the jury. Let it sink in. I, who volunteered to inform the U.S. government about potential security breach and about compromising information about a man vying to be the next president, am now being hunted by the very same people whom I informed and may have to live on the run for the rest of my life. I warned the government about potential risk to the integrity of the 2020 elections, if convicted by a U.S. court, would never be able to vote again in a U.S. elections. Just think about it and ask yourself, who is the real criminal in this story? Thank you for listening. Hello, I'm John Bussey with The Wall Street Journal. I'm joined today by James Woolsey, the former head of the Central Intelligence Agency. We have a story about an interesting meeting you attended with Michael Flynn, the former NSA director for President Trump. And this meeting happened last fall. This is when he was a national security advisor to Mr. Trump. He wasn't yet president. And at this meeting, there was a discussion of in your words, whisking a kind of a covert action in the dark of night, uh, whisking a political opponent of the, uh, of the head of Turkey, Mr. Erdogan, out of the United States. Can you tell us a bit more about what was discussed at this meeting? Yes. Um, let me say that uh, uh, I had agreed a year or so earlier to go on an advisory board for Mr. Flynn's uh, uh, company. 
the Flynn uh, uh, intelligence group. Uh, but I'd never done anything with respect to it. They never asked me to do anything. I had no financial interest in it. Uh, it was basically a handshake. If you need me uh, sometime, let me know. So that, I did absolutely nothing uh, with them. And I was, uh, uh, actually I was on television program and had gotten word a day or so before that they really, really wanted me to come to a meeting at one of the local hotels here so in New York. Is that the Essex House in, yes. in New York City? And um, I showed up and there were several Turks and several uh, uh, Americans there. Um, Turkish ministers, these were high yes, level. Yes, we eventually figured, sorted out who was who. I came yeah. in, the, as I said, in the yeah. middle of this Including meeting. Including the foreign minister of right. Turkey. And, uh, but there was um, uh, discussion, serious discussion, of finding some way to move uh, Mr. Gulen uh, out of the United States to Turkey. Um, I think, uh, since I only heard part of the discussion, uh, I could have missed an early statement that put some kind of caveat on it by somebody. But uh, you might call it brainstorming, but it was uh, brainstorming about uh, a, a very serious matter that would uh, pretty clearly be a violation of law. And um, uh, they finished their discussion not too long thereafter. Um, I uh, reported to several people, including through a mutual friend, uh, the vice president's uh, office. Uh, what, vice President uh, Biden at Biden, the time. Mm -hmm. what, had, uh, what had transpired. Uh, but it was a, a, a serious and troubling discussion, but it did not, repeat not, uh, rise to the level of a concrete, in my portion of being in the room, it did not rise to the level of being a specific plan to, to, to undertake a, a felonious act. Right, no details on, a, on, right. on an effort. Not while I was there. But the idea was to essentially avoid uh, the, the, the laborious process of extradition. That uh, seemed to be the main thrust. Yeah. Mr. Gulen, tell us a little bit about him, uh, Fatullah Gulen. He's lived in the United States since 1999, yes. north of Philadelphia in the Poconos Mountain. He has a green card. He's an opponent of, of uh, Mr. Erdogan. He is now. They were once very close friends. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, he and Erdogan are uh, very much uh, at odds with one another to the 14th power. Uh, Erdogan uses uh, the charge that uh, Gulen uh, launched the coup of last summer uh, as a way of justifying a number of the arrests and so forth he's made. And as far as I know, uh, uh, Gulen not only denies that, but uh, but charges Erdogan with the improper steps and actions. So it's a very, yes, very angry relationship. Yeah, and the United States, up until now at least, has said, you know, hands off, uh, we're not going to be extraditing him. That, as far as I know, the, any opportunity, opportunities or chances to uh, uh, collect him legally have never materialized. Yeah, and, and Mr. Flynn's company uh, at the time was doing work uh, that he has, in subsequent disclosures to the uh, Justice uh, Department, said could benefit uh, Turkey. So this appears to have been part of that work. Yes, well, Turkey uh, is a promising country up until the, uh, uh, the very very difficult uh, uh, coup uh, last summer. Uh, uh, there were a lot of business interests uh, in Turkey. Uh, I was uh, there for several months, uh, a year or so earlier, and uh, uh, you pr practically couldn't get through the downtown area. There's so many building cranes. Uh, yeah. Turkey was a prosperous, uh, moving place. Things have changed to some extent yeah. now, but uh, uh, there were a lot of American companies doing business in Turkey. Yeah, so at this meeting, um, was Mr. Flynn uh, 
discussing these uh, potentially covert actions uh, as you describe them? I don't want to charge that because I don't recall who said what. I, as I said, I came into this meeting late. Uh, I uh, was trying to sort of take the whole thing in. I was mainly struck by the fact that that subject uh, had come up and was de being dealt with seriously. But whether or not it was uh, uh, Mike Flynn or one of the other people at the meeting, I, I don't recall. Yeah, now we should point out that the story, which our story, which is on uh, online Wall Street Journal right now, uh, says, uh, uh, quotes a Flynn spokesman uh, as saying that non-judicial physical removal of Mr. Gulen was not uh, discussed. Is that well, the case? I think it was discussed, but I would not say it was discussed as a concrete, specific proposal. Okay. Uh, it could well have just been brainstorming, and the discussion could have taken place a large share of it while I was not there, right. because I was late, as I said, to the, to the meeting. Yeah. Uh, uh, what did you say to the Americans in the room uh, as an advisor to Mr. Flynn's group? What did you say to Mr. Flynn and other uh, members of the, the group? Uh, well, I uh, uh, didn't want to get quoted, uh, so I uh, said, as I left, perhaps to one or two of them, something very vague about some problems there or issues there, because I wanted to decide how I reported that. I didn't know uh, some of these folks. I didn't know what their uh, propensities were, and uh, they were not the ones to report to. So I uh, did have a channel to the vice president, and then I had others uh, that uh, I could make statements to. Did you say anything did. to Mr. Flynn? Don't recall that I did. Yeah. Uh, was there any kind of reaction from Mr. Flynn, uh, positive or negative, to the ideas? That Don't recall between him and the people who worked for him or were advisors to him who were there. Uh, it, I don't want to charge any single individual with having said X because it uh, was nine months ago and I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Now, you were an advisor to the Trump transition uh, committee yes. for a short period of time. Yes, Is that right? uh, from uh, uh, very early September before uh, Labor Day uh, to uh, uh, into the period of time just before the election and then after the election uh, briefly as uh, an advisor on the, uh, the, the uh, uh, transition. Right. And why did you choose to terminate that involvement with the Trump uh, well, uh, it uh, wasn't producing anything, and I, the television stations kept carrying me on their Chiron as a senior advisor to the Trump transition, and I really wasn't, and I didn't want to fly under false colors, so I just asked them to take that designation off. It wasn't uh, any major policy uh, issue. I was not uh, lobbying for going back and rerunning the election or right. anything like that. Right. Now, um, after this conversation that you were part of uh, in the fall about Turkey, did you continue your advisory relationship with uh, the Flynn Group? No. Uh, he put uh, my uh, name and position in uh, for an Agent Registration Act submission uh, that a couple of three weeks ago uh, uh, showed up. But uh, one of the uh, Turkish uh, 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 advisors had uh, said to me uh, a day or so after the meeting that uh, uh, General Flynn had said that uh, uh, I, uh, rep I reported to him, and uh, uh, he was my boss in the Flynn group, and I uh, told the Turkish gentleman I know in certain terms I had never worked uh, uh, for Mr. Flynn and I wasn't going to work for Mr. Flynn and that that was not right. Right, and why, why did you decide not to work for Mr. Flynn? Uh, it never came up. I had no interest in 
uh, working uh, for him. Did they ever pay you an advisory fee no, for being part? So you didn't take all. any money from nothing. them? And no, no equity, no nothing. Uh, this, these advisory boards, unlike a corporate board of directors, these yeah. advisory boards, particularly around Washington, lots of people go on them. It's basically, in many cases, a kind of, if you need me, give me a call and we'll see if we can work out some terms for me to help you. Uh, yes. Uh, but I had uh, never taken any funds from the Flynn Group and never done anything with them. I didn't, had never even visited their offices. I didn't know where their offices were. Yeah. But we should point out that the FBI right now is investigating uh, the possibility of any uh, connection between members of the Trump campaign and Russia over Russia's in interference in the in the U.S. election. Mr. Flynn's name has come up as one of the people yes. that they they might be looking into. Uh, what contact he did or did not have, and that he stepped down from being the national security advisor to President Trump as a result of not having been uh, forthcoming with uh, Vice President Pence about his contacts with the the Russian uh, ambassador. Characterize for me this meeting. Um, When you walked out of the room, did you get a feeling that this was uh, sharp uh, analysis, uh, capable people talking about a a real thing that they planned to do, or was it something else. Hard to tell. Six or eight people standing around uh, uh, chatting with one another, one saying, you know, I think if we do something, we ought to be th- it ought to be like this. And others said, well, maybe, maybe like that. Uh, it was very casual. Uh, it was uh, not uh, particularly uh, focused on detailed planning or coherent, but the subject matter uh, was in several spots, uh, really, I think, quite clearly uh, examining, if only hypothetically, uh, a way in which to uh, get Mr. Gulen uh, out of the United States and back to Turkey. Right. Uh, do you remember any of the language that was used? You kind of recall it now as being kind of covert, uh, the discussion being of covert action taken. Well, how, how did you, you come to the conclusion that it was co- covert action? Well, it uh, would be very difficult without a finding uh, from a court, uh, an extradition order, uh, to uh, show up in uh, uh, full light of day in Mr. Gulen's home and, uh, and uh, clamp manacles on him and uh, take him to uh, be uh, flown out of the country. We don't run that kind of a society in the United States. We, uh, have, if you're going to extradite someone, you go through procedures. You uh, do it right. Uh, you, you, you don't do something like that. And you may lose. And you may lose, absolutely. Mr. Woolsey, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. This uh, final video, or video audio, sorry, uh, you'll find very inter- entertaining, uh, but it wraps up and cuts a, kind of puts a bow on everything. It's Laura Ingram with uh, James Woolsey, and they discuss a lot of the topics we're going to go into a deep detail on, and I just wanted you to listen, listen carefully to all the topics and uh, the uh, particular aspects of how he looks at things. It may not have affected the outcome of the 2016 election, but the Russians were able to pull off a wide-ranging, aggressive, and brazen attempt to interfere in the campaign. So can our intelligence agencies stop them from doing it again? Let's ask an old friend, former CIA director, Jim Woolsey. Uh, Jim, it's great to have you on. Thanks for being here tonight. This is wild. I mean, this indictment today was wild. I mean, they were organizing all sorts of things. They were they were working for that Jill Stein, trying to help her. They were they were anti-Trump and pro-Trump on one day after the election. What's that all about? They want to be a force, and they want to disrupt things. Uh, they call their big overall program uh, disinformatia, disinformation, and 
they've been doing this since the 1920s, 1930s. What's new is that they do it with cyber. But uh, they have, didn't have much luck disrupting American elections back in the you know, 1930s or 1940s. Uh, but uh, they've been doing that to other countries all along. Uh, Ian Mihai Pacepa, the head of Romanian intelligence who defected in 79, says that there are more Russians involved in disinformation than there are in their armed forces. How about the Chinese, Jim? What do they do uh, to try to disrupt uh, things? They're so disrupting far, a lot of things around the world for us. Yeah, I know that. So far, not the same way the Russians yeah. do. Uh, but the Russians, um, I don't know, they Photoshop photographs of the Pope to make him look like he's saluting to a German uh, Nazi officer. They just, uh, you don't think it, the Chinese are involved in this type of activity. Well, I mean, they have an economy that dwarfs Russia's. They're a standing army of 2.3 million people. They're militarizing space, stealing our technology. I mean, I think it's yeah. important that we stop this Russian stuff. But every, every time someone says Russia, 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 I say yeah. China, China, yeah. China. Oh, well, you should. It's, uh, that's right. They are strategically a lot smarter. The, the, the Russians basically are like the old fellow who lived next to the Lincolns in their farm when he was a little boy. Lincoln said, the old boy used to say, I don't need much land, just what adjoins my uh, that's Russia. I mean, I got some Georgia. Let's take some Ukraine. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's pretty much. But what they have they an do. economy smaller than the size of France. I mean, they're, 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 right. they're, they don't. I mean, come on. Compared to China, I mean, China's like and, eating our lunch and, on so many and fronts. Headed down, and it uh, gives us uh, some leverage. If we can work to get the price of oil down in the 30s, well, 40s even. Uh, we will create a very, very unhappy Putin. But we don't want to. We don't want to push Russia to China, though. That's the last thing we want no, is a Russo-Sino alliance. We just correct? want to weaken them uh, because we can deal with them a lot better if they're weak. I was negotiating the Conventional Forces Treaty uh, in Europe in seventy in eighty nine when they, uh, 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 the Berlin Wall went down. And you've never seen such nice Russians. Let me tell you, all you got to do is destroy their strategy. <laughs> They're sweethearts. But isn't Trump doing that with pushing all this domestic uh, energy production? We are, we are soon going to become the largest exporter of energy in the world. Doesn't that, isn't that a weapon against Russian uh, expansionism? It's good, but it's really mainly about a balance of payments. What matters more is the price. If you can get the price not up there in the 70s and 80s, but down in the 30s and 40s, and you can do it just by letting. Well, the glut. People, we have a glut of uh, energy well, being produced you, you with could, fracking and everything else. Yeah, that helps. But you can also, uh, mm -hmm. to get the price down, uh, you can uh, give people an incentive to have uh, two fuels to choose from at the pump, at the filling station. And once you do that, you've got arbitrage that takes the price of oil down into the 30s or 40s. And right. uh, that, so that, lots of different they ways care to about that. The Russians so, care about that well, a lot. Obama didn't do much uh, in response to this, uh, no. response to this right. meddling in our election. They knew back in 2014, long before Trump got into the mix, that this was a problem. But what, I mean, as far as I could tell, they just allowed that uranium one sale to go through yeah. with that CFIUS yeah. committee. Really bad call. Yeah, so that, that helped Russia. Sure. sure. So what, what do we do? How do we stop this in the future? Well, Weaken them economically, and then what? I think what we really want uh, is to get them to start pulling in their horns and coming back out of Georgia, back out of Ukraine. Uh, we, 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 need them, we need to turn them around because they are taking over, even with their military and other inadequacies, uh, they are taking over a lot more of Eurasia than, than they should, and it gives them heart as they mm -hmm. take more and more uh, under their wing. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? 
Oh, probably, but uh, it was for the good of the system in order to avoid the communists from taking yeah. over. For example, in Europe, uh, uh, in 47, 48, 49, uh, the Greeks and the Italians, we... We don't do CIA. that now, though. We don't mess around other people's well, elections, Joe. Only for a very good cause. Can you do that? Do a Vine video on a former CIA director. Only for a very good cause in the interests of democracy. Thanks for being here. It's always great to see you. Okay, there. So there's a lot to unpack with all this um, information I just threw at you. You Woolsey, uh, Energy, Turkey, Ukraine, Israel, China, United States. But energy is the big part of this. It's actually probably the, at least from the standpoint of making money, uh, it's the most important part. And um, Woolsey connects to a lot of this uh, understated. He talks about advisory roles. So one of the things he's advisory uh, rolling on, there's a company called Genie Energy, which is out of Israel. And they're tied to a major um find that was uh, found off the coast near uh, Cyprus and Israel and Turkey in that area, that little geographic uh, triangle. They found a bunch of LNG. Um, They're looking to uh, use that. And there has been a plan on the books for quite some time to uh, develop a a second canal route uh, through Israel. Um, Just saying. Uh, Of course, that would take a long time. But, you know, uh, if you're and, – and people like Woolsey, who's he's 80 years old, uh, he left the CIA in 1995. But the one thing all the, the CIA people do is keep their security clearances, and they uh, wind up going into all these operations as consultants and make their money and have a nice, comfortable life because there's no money in government. Wink, wink, nod, nod, but there is. Uh, as long as you uh, get yourself into roles, so advisory roles, uh, you know, connected to a certain corporation, get a equity stake, as Woolsey mentioned. Uh, he said, well, he had no, he, he made it abundantly clear that he wasn't connected to the Flynn Group because um, that was very important to show that he was just totally innocent and that that deal or that situation had nothing to do with him. Woolsey was a if you listen really carefully and closely there, and you can back up to it, as a matter of fact, uh, he mentioned something about rerunning the election, you know, that he didn't have any desire to rerun the election. Interesting that. So he basically, Freudian slip, by mentioning that word, rerun, he was basically telling you that, you know, he was really on the side of, uh, he wasn't on the side of Trump, his advisory uh, position and role with the Trump campaign has nothing to do with him wanting to be there. He was a spy. He was operating as one. Which, I mean, why should that surprise, surprise anybody? Um, so, and and his last uh, little uh, little thing with uh, Laura Ingram, who uh, also is very closely connected to Bill Barr, and these people are old and uh, neocons, they're war pigs. They're all in the same kind of um, making havoc around the world benefits them uh, from more standpoint, just ratings and, and gets to have these uh, guests on to talk about this stuff. 
But like they they uh, actually undersized the Russian economy. The Russian economy is much more diversified than what we are told. It's actually on parity with probably Germany's economy. So it's probably as large as the largest European economy. Um, they've obviously held their own against uh, U.S. forces through Ukraine. And of course, that thing would have never popped off if it hadn't been for Biden's being in the in the uh, Oval Office, which is, of course, what they wanted, because the neocons are all over the place uh, starting stuff. And he knows how they downplayed uh, China in particular. Well, there's a good reason for that if you're Woolsey. So one of the boards he's on is a is a private capital company called First Wall Street Capital. And they uh, they were one of the investors in Magnolia LNG, which was tied back to um, CEFC, uh, Hunter Biden's uh, little uh, uh, group that was uh, giving him $5 million in it was August of 2017. They gave him $5 million. And he talked about Patrick Ho getting a $1 million. Uh, that was a $1 million retainer for legal uh, advice or legal uh, uh, services that a hunter requested. I, I've seen the document. I've seen the stamp on it. It's real. Um, and then, of course, Patrick Ho got arrested in the middle of November uh, 2017. Uh, just as they were, uh, they were, they hadn't been kicking around. They were kicking around all these deals, but obviously, um, they got on the radar. Um, something fierce because obviously Patrick Hogue wound up being, um, you know, arrested. But uh, Woolsey, for his part, he's a senior advisor with uh, First Wall Street Capital, which is CEO is Glenn Miles. It just so happens Woolsey and Miles uh, wound up on uh, the Ukrainian, they're on the U.S. Ukrainian Council. It's like a big think tank. It's a, you know, like a think tank uh, where it operates you know, where they're obviously interested in Ukrainian interest. And they also are on the board of a titanium company out in Ukraine called Velta. It's towards the eastern side of uh, there. So there are advisors there, too, both of them. So Woolsey knows, uh, and, and it just so happens that they share office space with uh, uh, a company called uh, Star Companies. And Star, it had one of the biggest uh, operators out of there. Is a guy named Rick New, who's uh, he emailed Hunter Biden. He's also very connected to the Chinese Communist Party. Like he literally sends plenty of emails back and forth to the director uh, that was located in China, that is attached to the PLA and the CCP and everybody else. So the fact that Woolsey wouldn't say anything really negative about China isn't by accident. Is because. You know, he literally shares office space with one of the top uh, guys here in the United States. The guy used to work for AIG, by the way. He came over with uh, Greenberg, who operate, uh, uh, runs the operation um, from AIG. He came over. They've been uh, paired together. Rick New and uh, Greenberg have been paired together for 20 years. And oh, by the way, it just so happens that uh, Greenberg made a huge donation to the Jeb Bush campaign in 2016 for something like, I think it was $10 million. So he's a Republican. Um, Woolsey is supposed to be a Republican. That's probably the reason why he can't get, get on Laura Ingram's uh, show. But he worked as the 
CIA director under Clinton. As it just so happens that Glenn Miles, the CEO of First Wall Street Capital, where he's an advisor, is good friends with Clinton, Michael Milken, a lot of CCP folks, Zelensky. He, he did a meet and greet with Zelensky in 2022, just after the, the whole deal with uh, Russia popped off. I mean, isn't that interesting? This guy, and you don't know anything about First Wall Street Capital. It's a, it's a, if you go to the website, there's like eight or ten pages. Uh, there's not enough there for you to really ascertain what they're into because they're a private company. Sorry, I'm working on a cold. And my throat's pretty shot, but anyways, what I'm getting at with uh, First Wall Street Capital is that they're they're also attached to a twelve billion dollar. Uh, Chinese uh, LNG uh, port that they're trying to put together. Um, obviously, they're all over LNG, um, and they wound up uh, their this uh, Magnolia LNG got transferred to Glen Farm Group, who happens to be located in, down in Houston and located in New York City. So there's a conduit there. They they have hot offices in both places. So going back to Woolsey. He's attached to Genie Energy with Israel. He's attached. He was attached to Magnolia LNG, which was being kicked around by CEFC, where Galuf was representing. And Woolsey worked for uh, Woolsey and Luf have a relationship going back to 2002, according to Luf. And um, you'll notice the Bidens attack anybody. Um, their DOJ are trying to pin all kinds of, you know crimes on anybody they're going after Luf. they've gone after uh garrett ziegler from marco polo they've gone after bannon they've gone after peter uh oh peter navarro rudy giuliani they've gone after anybody anybody that's even remotely connected to trump but they've gone after anybody who will get in the way um regarding hunter um no matter how much evidence is out there and there is substantial evidence of, you know, the IRS, Gary Shapley, and, and, and whatnot have testified under oath. So, I mean, <laughs> if you're an IRS agent and you testify under oath to the sh chicanery that goes on, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain that that is legit. Without any bit of, if, if you read through the testimony, the only thing, and the Democrats sat with that, if, by the way, FYI, that uh, testimony that was given, there was Republicans and there were Democrats on that uh, interview, substantial, like four four. They had each each side had plenty of representatives. There was it was a fair fair deal. The Democrats, all they did was focus on how much money it cost to do these investigations. They were nitpicking. Uh, they were like, "Why are you spending all these hours on this? You know, this isn't like a seven figure crime or an eight figure crime or whatever tax crime." That tells you how they, they look at things, and that's how they were trying to undermine it. They're like, this is just, you know, they make it like it's piddly. No, it isn't. And the verify violations, well, that's not an IRS thing. They can't handle that. And this all uh, involves foreign influence and, and not registering, which, of course, is the whole point of this. Uh, there's a reason why Woolsey uh, goes on all these advisory roles. That's the reason why he mentioned, no, 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 I didn't do anything with Flynn. Even though, even though there's a pretty good chance he probably did, but you know, I don't have the, I don't can't confirm that. But uh, this whole thing with Turkey, that was interesting. Turkey comes back into the picture now because, um, hold on a second here. So uh, 
what was I going to say? Oh, Turkey comes back into the picture now in the present day because Turkey's currently. So they're trying to shift blame, you know, in the Middle East, the Israel-Palestine conflict. And they're also looking to get 30 uh, jet fighters from, uh, I think, either Spain or uh, NATO-related partners. Uh, but Germany doesn't want to sign off on it. Turkey's trying to build, and this is this is not my hypothesis, this is Martin Armstrong's, a new Ottoman Empire. So they want to extend their, they want to get their band back together uh, from back before World War One, And they're trying to, I mean, Erdogan, of course, wants to, I mean, because of his position, his geopolitical position, geo, uh, geopolitics is all about this. And all these places are key, you know, to... Uh, flows of capital or flows of shipping or flows of energy and that's a uh, and you know pipelines and whatnot there's there's all this is ge geopolitics at, at, at the heart of it all of this uh, and we're uh, we're trying to so the United States recently or just supposedly just cut a deal with uh, China or made a cut their own throat uh, there's a Fox News report and I was listening to Six Hex and Hammer this morning. He, he reviewed the article, and I'll, I'll put the link to the article from Fox, and you can read through it, about uh, green energy, which is, uh, this is a way he's trying to, he, this, is, this is how they're trying to thread the needle, uh, or at least this is how the Biden administration is trying to thread the needle. So he's cutting this deal because he knows he has a bunch of NIMBYs on the left. That want to hear want to hear about green energy, green, green, green. They don't they don't they don't even conceptually understand or organize in their mind what China is doing. China has a stranglehold on green uh, resources, natural resources, manufacturing processes. So that's what Fox lays out. But it is true. It's not false. It's not you know BS. It's real. They have that, and they have that in spades. The United States has, in spades, oil, LNG, coal. I mean, then here's the thing. is The, the Chinese are still building coal plants out the yin-yang. Uh, there's multiple reports out there that show that. I, I put the, a blog post or two or a post here on, on my site that shows that. It's a, it, they are creating all kinds of coal plants in their country. They could care two shits about the economy, uh, environment. They don't care about that. I don't know why anybody would think they do, but there are people out there that are dumb enough to feel, uh, buy that bullshit. So that's that's one side of the equation. On the other side of the equation, the Biden administration is trying to turn on the LNG export spigot. So we're going to drain our LNG exports out to Europe to keep them prostrate or keep them under the NATO roof. So that's part of the reason why they want to have as much conflict around Europe uh, or make it so that they can't get their energy resources. And that's part or maybe part and parcel of the reason why there is the, the, this Hamas. Hear me out here. So Hamas, this, this failure on intel. See, Ukraine wasn't getting it done because what, what happened? Even after they knocked off the Nord Stream, Russia was sending their energy through India, and then that was being shipped around. So when it comes to the Suez, so if there is a problem here in Israel and Gaza, and it spills over into Egypt, and if somehow or another the Suez Canal gets 
tampered with, then that makes it more difficult to get LNG. So then that cuts off that, that geographic positioning. And then where does Europe get their LNG from? The United States. So that is, that is the kind of the plan, I think, is to make it so that the United States will provide all the LNG exports we can give them and a cutter. So by having that destabilized in the Middle East within reason, that causes all kinds of chaos. Qatar is the largest uh, actual LNG exporter. And Qatar, I mean, there's probably something, some angle here that's going to be worked because, oh, by the way, Qatar houses a lot of Hamas. So there's, there's that. So there's a, there is definitely a destabilization program that the United States is working on. Go figure, color revolutions. Our, our uh, friend uh, Woolsey mentioned the idea, oh, we only interfere because we're trying to do it for democracy. You know, <laughs> that's just, ain't that, ain't that, ain't that beautiful? Uh, we have, we have literally just, we have no standards whatsoever. We will go out and F with everybody in the world. This is why we're hated. This is intentional too. This is called people who have no idea. They they want the American people to hate them. And everybody around the world thinks that we just are stupid and we don't understand what our, our people in D.C. are doing. Yeah. Here's the problem. They're the most powerful military on their face of the earth. And oh, by the way, they're, they're making it so that they get rid of all the the people that are patriots, people that are patriotic, that actually support the military. And now they're going to just put in their little their little drones, the people that hate America, people that actually hate and despise what they do. So they're going to give them something to do, which is, of course, you know, beat on Americans. That's the whole thing with the military, uh, with the invasion at the southern border that's going on. Uh, that's been kicked around that. If we ever get to a potentiality for martial law, which Biden would be glad to do it, uh, you know, become a strong arm dictator and take over. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be him. He he's just he's just the puppet for right now. But can you imagine who could possibly get put in there in potentiality of that person just going hog wild on this because uh, there'll there'll be that potential. We are we are really really crazy, and of course that's that goes with the whole. Uh, the, if there's any interruption to their plan that they're doing right now with, uh, you know, you know, slitting her own throat when it comes to energy, they're reestablishing new supply chains, uh, whether it be green energy or LNG, and they're trying to just hijack the entire oil industry. Uh, I mean. Don't get me wrong, I don't want them to get subsidized either, but uh, there's just, uh, you know, what we have, we have a failure to understand how to run a modern economy because part of part and parcel to this whole thing is we don't have an industrial base anymore like we used to. That's what happens when you sell out, which is what these people have done over the last 25 to 30 years. Uh, they, they wanted to create this post-industrial economy uh, I'm borrowing from um, somebody I listened to earlier today, uh, the, uh, the Duran. Um, there's an economist on there. I don't agree with everything he said. But the idea was is there's been this whole push to get America to we, – we've gone from what used to be an industrialized and, and uh, I, I would call heavy manufacturing 
to this service industries will sell computer chips or computer software and the soft it never works this is the thing if you don't make things make things you have to make things in order to have control of your fate this financialization uh, trek that we're on is going to fail miserably everybody knows it around the world uh, but the people in Washington DC are going to make money off of it because as long as their money's good that's all right but everybody else in the country they could care less about uh, and that was part of the deal too so like I said getting back to energy you got all these uh, connections back to Woolsey and he just he just uh, uh, he's been on my radar uh, more and more the pieces are kind of filling in uh, the places where he's at he talked about Turkey he's like, oh yeah Turkey had a great economy and then uh, six months later they you know they had a coup and hmm I'm dollars to donut we put that coup in place or certainly enhanced it so I don't think Erdogan is uh, the thing is is these people are put in place by um, in the most part by our own hand uh, we want to control certain people we've had we put it we know the CIA has installed dictators before in Africa did for uh, was it Charles Isham Taylor uh, you know we put up with dictators we put up with uh, Muammar Gaddafi until he wanted to go off uh, uh, the, the money system that we had in place then they got rid of him so this is nothing unusual and uh, yeah they just uh, we have people that just can't keep their uh, international paws off things and they want it for themselves they don't they don't have a they have a greed lust and control desire that's just beyond anybody else um, and, and, and I'm not even gonna say that Woolsey I mean, Woolsey's not the head of the snake or anything he just happens to be connected to all this he's I, he he mentioned in his broadcast I mentioned earlier he mentioned that he had a direct line to Biden that tells you everything you need to know he was talking about that that was that was an interview he did in early 2017 by the way with the Wall Street Journal uh, he was reflecting back on his dealings with the Flynn group in 2016 and, and uh, Trump but he was mentioning that he had a direct and this was confirmed uh, he, it was actually put out there in the ether uh, the print media uh, Politico uh, same deal so he was glad to assist Biden during that time which was essentially assisting the Democrats uh, to hijack Trump and hijack Flynn and, and uh, I don't know what to think of Flynn I think Flynn, I mean, because he had been a, he'd been a Democrat for a long time, he was, uh, you know, top-tier uh, intelligence uh, guy reporting to, what's his face, James Claffer. So, very strange, very strange character. I mean, he's military, so, you know, his brother is uh, actually, I think, uh, holds the top position in the Pacific Fleet, one of them. Uh, not Pacific Fleet, but you know Pacific Command, which is telling because it's like okay, if Flynn is like such poison, then they try to prosecute him. Why did his brother? Why did his career aspirate? Why did his career suffer too? These people are anything if not consistent. Once you're on their bad side, they try to take out your whole family, or they'll use your other. So there's something that doesn't wash there. 
but I haven't been able to dig into it and figure out exactly separating that. I'm not throwing Michael Flynn under the bus yet, but I've been on the fence about him about a number, a number of things. Because when you get back to J6, and this is this is part of the Biden thing too, we know that there was an operation done. That was part of the reason why that Nancy Pelosi uh, little clip was put in there. I've seen some of the tape. We know that there was a huge amount of uh, actors put on, on the spot. I saw a guy who did a good analysis of this. And, they, and I want you to bear with me here for a second. So, But the big, the big thing, you know how we could decipher this real quickly, is if you look at the arrests, what, you need to, we, what we need to do is look at the J6 arrests and see what time or what were those people. Well, in other words, were they at uh, the Capitol uh, prior to the end of uh, Trump's speech? In other words, did they come afterwards? People said, what does that matter? Well, I'm curious here because I, from what I've seen of the breakdown, a lot of the – well, uh, take everything that happened before Ashley Babbitt. I think she was uh, – uh, her event – and see, I'm on the, on, the, on the fence there too. Did she die? I know that within 24 hours, actually about 12 hours – they had a full write-up on all her, uh, what she was, Air Force veteran, her marriages, where she was stationed. They had all this background. Suddenly, the reporting media had all this background on this person within 12 hours. Now, uh, I'm, I'm calling it bullshit, but on that part. So, anyway. So, you take her as the uh, key event and take everything before that. How many of those people, uh, how many of the people that uh, got arrested or have been arrested, were their actions timed before that? See, if we're arresting after that, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the people prior to her, uh, her event were all actors. And they were causing all the ruckus and making a big, you know, in other words, they made the chaos and they got that all on camera they made a big deal out of it. I'm not saying anything didn't happen later on. It, it surely did. But look at who uh, the people for all the ruckus that was made in that prior stage prior to her her uh, her uh, being shot. How many of those people were arrested uh, for, quote, J6 crimes? If you don't see a lot of re and, and that's going to be key because I'm sure every one of these. In other words. We need a scattergram of rest times and seeing how that uh, how that all played out. To geolocate everybody, I mean, we know we can geolocate everybody. Geolocate timestamp what their actions supposedly was, and that's how you reinvestigate this whole thing. And then what you'll find out is, I think that most, or say, eighty percent of the, the most damaging uh, video and most uh, repeatable uh, in other words the things that are so repeatable like like the things that you, uh, Liz Cheney and the J6 committee keep on putting out as pictures were all staged and faked we can we can pretty much approve that and then also of the, those staged events how many of the people that were actually in those uh, those little clips actually ever got arrested that just that that right there I mean or got arrested and actually went 
to jail, not like a Ray Epps who was at the uh, precise moment caused a uh, you know whisper, supposedly whispered in the guy's ear and then suddenly the the fence was moved and all that kind of shit. Um, and now he's pled to a misdemeanor. You know, see how that all worked out. So until we get into that, and that's like I said, that that's but this goes back to day six because or it goes back to the energy thing. So there were Ukrainians at the Capitol that day. Jacob Chansley opposed with one. Uh, I think his name was Sergey. I can't remember. I can't say his last name. It's just you know, I got a picture of it. <clears throat> I'll put it in the uh, in the, below this. You can see the picture of where he posed with him. Um, George Eliason, I'm, I'll have to go look him up. I think he has a sub stack. He did a uh, pretty good write-up, multiple write-ups regarding this. And uh, Petro Poroshenko was congratulating Biden the very next day. Couldn't wait. And I think I think Netanyahu, back in November of 2020, or, yeah, November 2020, after the election, he was one of the first to congratulate uh, Joe Biden, just so happens. So uh, that was, uh, and then of course Netanyahu fell out of favor, and then Netanyahu got reinserted. Hmm. Interesting that uh, how that all worked out. So, um, the, but the thing is with the Ukraines, um, how many were there? Why were they there? Why was uh, evidently, uh, according to Eliasson, he said Poroshenko was in South America during that time. Now, people say, well, what does that make any difference? Well, South America seems like a staging operation for the invasion. So was there a, a point there? Was, are some of the Ukrainians in part and parcel to this uh, invasion? We know the Chinese are doing this, but I haven't heard anything about the Ukrainians. So I'm not going to speculate, but I... And what I'm saying is that would be a uh, a cause to wonder if there was some uh, uh, other reason why it was uh, uh, down in South America at that particular moment on J6. But uh, be that as it may, uh, just a lot of this stuff revolves around get, they had to get the right puppet in. They, they've been hell-bent on getting this climate thing done. Um, I've done some other research. I'm not going to go into it, but... Uh, it's tied to the climate change initiative. Basically, it's about destroying the United States' ability to provide energy for itself while basically bleeding us dry and shipping it around the world. And, of course, when you ship it, they, they want to do this maximum. The way I look at it, they want to do things in the most inefficient manner possible. This has always been the case. I mean, you think about it. What's the logical way to provide for your country's energy? What's a logical way to um, to make and produce energy so that you can have a productive economy? You want to do it at home as much as possible. Yes, there's going to be imports and exports. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But you don't want to be beholden to anybody, and you certainly wouldn't want to outsource. Uh, like, for example, even even if you were a greenie, why wouldn't you want that production done on, on U.S. soil? Why would you want to out, ex, uh, outsource it to one of your enemies? And China is an enemy. Uh, they know it. I mean, we got fentanyl coming across the border. Uh, TikTok is uh, ruining everybody's brains. That was a story, too, uh, as far as uh, the uptake of TikTok. Of course, hmm, didn't it just come out recently, this letter from uh, Ben Laden? Well, 
the, this thing, did Obama, uh, did uh, Bin Laden actually write the letter? It was a CIA, a CIA asset. So isn't it interesting how that got reintroduced and it just happened to hit TikTok? Go figure. You know, uh, leaving aside, you know, uh, the points made, and I didn't go through them all, and some people have done that. Leave that all aside. They released it. Uh, it got re-uptaked, re uh, reintroduced to the younger generation through TikTok uh, because that's where they want to write. They want they want the young people to hate America. I don't hate America. Nobody, nobody of any cognitive ability would hate this country. I love my country. I despise our leadership. They're the absolute worst fucking bunch of people in the entire universe. You know, except for the ones that are running other countries that are just as bad, like, you know, Canada or whatever. Nevertheless, because they have so much power and they have so much resources at their disposal and they use the intel community to intimidate and threaten the entire population, they are a disgusting uh, bunch of dirtbags and they all need... They need to face final judgment. Just saying. Uh, that's me. Uh, that's my extemporaneous result from all that. So the country's fine. Uh, 70 or 80% of the people in this country know what's going on and feel it. And based upon certain polls, they, they know that they're not the ones that are benefiting from any economic situation that Biden's creating. That being said, there's still people that are still delusional enough to think that the Democrats actually give a damn about them. And there's still people delusional enough to think that the Republicans are actually ever going to do anything about it. These people in D.C. do not give a damn about either, neither side. Neither side cares about you. They do not care. They care about their power. They care about the money that they can get from grifting off of our taxes. That was the one thing that somebody said on listening to this bullshit with uh, Obama, uh, Osama bin Laden. Why are we paying taxes to these people? It's like, yeah, well, there you go. There's one of your. There's one way to get these people's attention in Washington D.C. Don't pay them their. Don't pay them their uh, monies. Cut that off. See what happens. I know what's going to happen. They're going to come for it. That's the reason why they hired all these extra taxes uh, people at the IRS. You know, at some point. You're going to have to suck it up and, and, you know, be a bigger person or a bigger man than, or, you know, what have you and, and, and say no to this government, you know, whether, whether it's puppeted by Biden or whoever else that they decide to bring out here. And we keep on thinking there's going to be a political solution. Yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see the calculus of that. They're not going to allow it, no matter what it is. If it's anything other than what they want, and that's the reason why they keep on selling Nikki Neocon and Ron, uh, Ron DeSantis, who can't even, he, he, I don't know. I know some people that like him that actually I think are pretty good people. I say good people. They, they're insightful about a lot of things, but they're still, they're, they're, they're on the DeSantis train, and I'm like, I don't know why they would be that way, but that just tells you not everybody sees what they need to see uh, with, with any of this stuff. And, of course, you know, there's some uh, people out there that 
have a great deal of intellect, can break down all kinds of things, but then they have no ability to communicate that in a rational way. And, yeah, I probably, probably fall into that category too, uh, in some respects. But you know, <laughs> I know my limitations. Uh, some of these people don't. So I'm gonna leave it there for now. I think I've talked enough and analyzed enough, and uh, hopefully this uh, podcast will uh, sound pretty good. But who knows? Uh, take care out there. Uh, God bless the United States of America, and God save the world.